All right, we are officially recording. Aaron Carson, welcome to my podcast. How are you doing? So great. Good. Good to be here. Thanks, Brett. All right. Well, listen, we actually met through any question. Uh, we have, we're now part of this incredible app that is really taking off. And, I, and I've been talking about it a lot of my podcasts, but I'm so blessed that I get to meet incredible people from all different fields. And, and we, we have started a strength channel. And for those people that don't know, there's a, there's a, a bunch of different strength you know, uh, experts on this app right now. But what we're doing with each of the channels is we're trying to find, trying to identify people that are kind of like the best of the best and, and, and use them as kind of a channel manager. So you've, you've agreed to come on uh, as, as the channel manager of, of strength and, and finding some of the best experts in the world. Why, why did you get that role? How, how'd you get that role? I think when I first talked to Greg, there was no strength channel. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I think this is really important. Like, I think that mm -hmm. strength is, is the fountain of youth um, from an aging perspective. Mm -hmm. we, need, we need to just have this amazing posture. Um, we're all so passionate. It seems like like-minded people about performance and doing and being the best version of ourselves. And from my perspective, naturally, I've made a life out of uh, helping people get really strong for what they want to do. And um, yeah. I'm a very much a performance-based strength coach. And I would define that really as, as the strength is being built for a specific purpose, not just for the strength sake of getting stronger. Right. Um, so that's kind of my jam. And then before you knew it, there was a strength channel. <laughs> and I, I have also built my life and my profession on having really smart friends and mm -hmm. build, surrounding myself with the best in the world, um, in my opinion, or, you know, just, just because they've, They've been open. They've been humble. They've been willing to share and um, and really always want to give credit where credit is due. So this was a really uh, good match for me because I like to help people and I like to collaborate. And um, my ego isn't usually in the way. I think when I was younger, <laughs> it might have been a little bit bit different. But um, we're at the phase of life where sharing is is really what it's all about. So yeah. Maybe we can talk about those lessons learned too, because I got a few of those myself, but it's like, but I, I will say this in, in terms of your ego, I will say that every time I mention your name to someone, they're like, oh yeah, she's the best. You know, everybody says that. So you are well known in, in the realm of strength and conditioning worldwide. So you've done a good job, whatever you've done in your career, but uh, I know you have kind of a heavy emphasis on triathlon and, and that has some, you know, obviously some similarities to what I'm doing here with, with primarily swimming. Um, namely that, you know, this, a lot of swimmers end up going over to triathlon too, but in terms of endurance, swimming is a, is an endurance sport as well. And I, and I think what I've seen in the last 20 years is that there's been a real collaboration come together with the, with the strength and conditioning coaches and kind of a learning and understanding. And I think this is where any question will come in, in, in handy is like really getting the swim coaches the triathlete coaches and the strength coaches all on the same page working together so that it used to be i felt everyone was working against each other because they didn't really understand each other and they, they they weren't even communicating whereas now it's it's way beyond that it seems like have you have you got that impression as well oh absolutely i think building trust with sport coaches is the cornerstone of how any strength coach is going to be successful you cannot combat um, the performance of an athlete again with two coaches who mm -hmm. are not on the same page. And, right. but that's going to take time that, that really is, you have to trust, you have to trust each other. And so the, the coaching relationship, the, the sport coaches are my first, um, my first call after an athlete wants to bring me in to their, um, to their world and to their performance uh, training mm -hmm. regimen I want to talk to their sport coach and explain that I'm not going to uh, create a problem for this athlete because I think in the past um, I did ask I asked a question on any question why um, a, a sport coach might be nervous about bringing on a strength coach and it's pretty clear um, that sport coaches are nervous about strength coaches um, inducing fatigue. They're they're also nervous about potential injury. They're mm -hmm. they're they're nervous about so soreness and muscle soreness, mm -hmm. um, and just timing of the sessions. And how is this athlete who's barely getting their work done, their swim bike run, or their swimming, um, and they're constantly tired? And 
and you know that that first few weeks to just massage that relationship into a trusting relationship where the coach now is just like just go see Aaron um just call Aaron it's it's good she's going to take good care of you and the performance should see an immediate uptick tick if the strength coach is doing mm. the right work early right right yeah that's really good advice and i want to kind of dig into that even more as well but uh, in terms of just your speciality now. I mean, you could have gone in many different directions and you have in your career working with cycling and, and golf and other sports like that. But why why kind of emphasize and lean into the triathlon more now? I own a health club in Boulder, Colorado, 40,000 square foot training facility called Rally Sport. And that's where the triathlon world is. Mm. <laughs> so I, I really didn't miss the opportunity that came my way. Um, I've always been passionate about building strength for athletic performance. Watching triathlon and recognizing the role that I could play with some of the world's best triathletes. Um, my first two triathletes um, were Marinda Carfrey, mm -hmm. three-time Kona champion, Australian, mm -hmm. and Timothy O'Donnell. And they were not married when I met them, but they were definitely uh, uh, dating and partnered. And mm -hmm. uh, so Tio is also the only American man to go sub eight hours in Kona. And I built trust with them. And when they, we have now been together for a decade. I've been their strength coach for 10 years. They have been outside of having a baby and falling off of a uh, sidewalk and breaking his foot. Mm -hmm. um, they've been healthy athletes for, for a decade. And, mm. and, and they have won many uh, races and world championships. And, and so people want to know what they're doing and how we're doing yeah. that achieving mm. that and i think that they were the beginning for me and and now i have the top two rated uh wts athletes us team usa um olympians in in short course triathlon i have a lot of passion about working with young triathletes because they are the future and we want to get them started off well i think there's some really sad stories about overuse injuries with young athletes mm -hmm. um, that can be solved um relatively easily um, yeah, sure. especially in swimming too yeah you know yeah it's it's um it, it's not all a bunch of back squats and deadlifts i mean mm. those are the big sexy workouts or exercises right. that people want to think about and it's much much more than that so well, that's interesting that you say that because I, I do have these questions i'm like first of all why would a triathlete need a strength coach and 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 you can answer that stupid question and then you can tell me why what what are they doing you know because if it's not back squats and bench press and things yeah. like this what what are the useful things to to build strength in triathletes i think in any sport the first thing you want to look at is what is the inherent problem what is what could potentially lead to dysfunction uh physical dysfunction or mm -hmm. muscle overload uh, repetitive use injuries, you know, that's where we're talking about swimming with shoulders or with running. We're talking about uh, plantar fasciitis or we're talking mm -hmm. about hip issues or high hamstring issues. So we kind of have to start as a like kind of a prehab program. I really stay in my lane. I like to work with other professionals who are very good at what they do. So I have a team of physical therapists that I work backwards with and I'm willing to get in the trenches and do the day to day work. Um, based on what orthopedic people, doctors, and physical therapists are talking about, I, I don't, uh, I, I'm pretty good about staying in my lane. So well, yeah. we want to do that prehab work to ensure that the athlete doesn't actually have to go down that road of, of potential injury and allow them to do the training that good sport coaches can lay out for them. All right, so the, the prehab, but you have a healthy young triathlete who doesn't really have any issues at all. Yeah. And they're raring to go. They want to get in the gym. What What is the, the outcome goals? What are you trying to do when you're in the gym? The first thing that I'm really looking at is the, fact, the effect of gravity and ground mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. the body. And this is true across all aspects of being a human being. So the first thing that I want to do is open up the front side of the body. Mm -hmm. So there's, an, there's gravity that's pulling us in. It's going to create tightness on the chest. It's going to create tightness on the head and pull the head forward. It's going to create tightness on the front side of the hips. And if I can just using breath, using strengthening exercises for the back side of the body, um, we're going to start to build a structure of uh, shock absorption for when mm -hmm. the athlete is landing, when they're running. 
that the body can absorb the force of the foot going into the ground in a really efficient way. Mm -hmm. Um, And also posture. So when we can open up the front side of the body through big arm reaches, and then the second phase of mobility would be to strengthen the other Mm -hmm. side of the joint. Um, that's going to make play a really big role. We also these days are hearing so much about glute activation, and uh, it's kind of a great topic for me because I love to activate the glutes and figure out what is the position of the pelvis and how that's playing a role with with great lower body function, right? And, and open hips and freedom through the lower body so that the landings and the ability. The landings in the running or the ability to produce force on the bicycle or even to the extent of just having open hips and and a nice relaxed system in the water right so we want to open up the up front side of the body for sure we want to strengthen the back side and then there's three key areas of mobility that we really want to make sure are mobile and are mm-hmm. moving well and that would be the ankles the hips and the thoracic spine and so those are really my foundational landing places that when an athlete walks in sometimes you can tell from just how they present themselves when they walk in the the weight room that mm. there's tightness going on that there's right. fatigue going on yeah um, so we have to we have to just have these anchors um philosophical anchors that we're mm-hmm. willing to change the plan in a moment's notice based on what the athlete brings in and sometimes they bring in a ton of fatigue and yeah. we have a well, planned in the book that says we should mm, be doing this workout and you have right. to be able to pivot and just be like, that's not what that kid needs today. And, right. Yeah. And that's where the relationship just can get stronger and stronger because then the athlete buys in a little bit. We're not trying to just crush these guys. We, we That's right. the biggest mistake we can make, actually. Well, they, they triathletes tend to crush themselves. they got that mentality of I've got to go and, and, and almost you got to pull them back a little bit, right? I'd imagine. But, uh, I mean, as you were talking, I was adjusting myself too, just to make sure that I was sitting in the right spot. But um, it's true. I mean, as athletes, you you do think about your posture, your your alignment, you, you know, your balance, all that sort of thing is so important. Your your body is your is your engine. You know, it's your it's the thing that's going to get you across the line. So you got to take good care of it. But isn't there some sort of um, forces working against each other in triathlon? Because in swimming, you want really loose ankles you talked about ankle flexibility and things but don't you want some stiffness and tightness as a runner uh, am i getting this wrong aren't they two different things for swimming and running yeah that's why when i work with swimmers typically we're working on lower body strength and stability because they mm-hmm. don't interact with the ground in the same way as a runner or right. even a cyclist the cyclists they're similar to swimmers in that they just don't stand mm-hmm. their, their foot is not flat on the ground Um, but yeah, each sport brings different challenges and different loading strategies or, or opportunities to, to get better for sure. So Mm. yes, there's stiffness in between those things. So if we start at the bottom of the foot, that's where the plantar fascia is, that should be stable Mm. and the ankle should be mobile. The knee should be stable. The hips should be mobile. The low back, which is a big complaining point for a lot of people, if my low back isn't is painful or not happy, um, it's usually the hips are not mobile or the thoracic spine is not mobile. Mm. And so the low back can rotate and move, but it's really built to be a stable segment of the body. And right. the neck as well should be stable. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. it should move, but it, it needs, if the thoracic spine is nice and mobile, and my head can stay still, even for swimming. Right. I know somebody put a paddle on my head one day and asked me to swim <laughs> with it, and it was just like the worst disaster ever. But <laughs> it taught me that if my swimmers can rotate, right, not going to be so much tension on the shoulders, and the head needs to not go with the upper body, and right. that that can create a problem. So. Vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years. Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. Destro Swim Towers. 
gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com You're dealing with endurance athletes primarily with the triathletes, right? So in order to be a better swimmer, you generally have to swim. In order to be a better runner, you got to run and, and cycle kind of yes. thing. So how do you, do you address endurance in the gym to build uh, endurance that is um, transferable can you do that sometimes but but sometimes when i first get an athlete and they haven't and i'm just getting to know them we can recognize that there's some really like start with the abcs of of strength and conditioning um, we want to make sure that they know how to stand tall and push i i'm not a big bilateral overhead pusher but they do need to push maybe one arm overhead and just see how the body reacts to that um so we're going to definitely hit the abcs of muscular endurance just to make sure that they can do the movement well because Mm -hmm. skill development in the weight room is kind of part of the abcs it's getting good at it so you don't have to think about it too much there's neural load that comes with fatigue that we want them not to have to use too much of their brain when they come into the to the gym so Early in the relationship, we want to make sure they get good at things. Their skill is high. So we will teach them the squat patterns. We will teach them the deadlifting patterns, the pushing and the pulling patterns. Um, And then we can kind of start digging into more of a customized program and what they actually need um, later. So Mm -hmm. if we look at, you know, everybody knows that you want to be able to engage your lats and use your lats in swimming. It doesn't mean that a bunch of pull-ups is necessarily going to make you a better swimmer. Right. It might actually make it worse. So you you have to really work closely, I think, with the the coach to make sure that you're not getting the athlete in it in his or her own way by building up something that maybe should be quieting down a little bit and strengthening right. something else. So there is a a uh, situation where even if if they're they're really good, they're front pack swimmers. I don't need to do much other than stay out of the way and keep them healthy and keep their thoracic spine nice and mobile. I'm not going to win them a gold medal in the weight room. They're going to win the gold medal because they practiced really hard in the pool and they had good coaching. And I'm just going to try and stay out of the way and keep them healthy. Wow. That's interesting. So you're, you're kind of um, comfortable with kind of being in the background of, of a performance you, you don't want to be in the forefront like a coach almost wants to be there with the athlete sharing the glory but for you it's a little bit stand back is that right yeah yeah you know i think any strength coach we we get used to that like you know you watch this you watch the super bowl and all mm. the coaches and all the players are there and then the, the strength coach is always in the right, back right. and sometimes they don't even go up on the stage but i think that we can find a lot of intrinsic pride in knowing we played a large role because if you can keep athletes healthy right and you can slowly over time create strength and balance in the body um we're gonna have a lot of fun and we're gonna have a lot of success um winning is fun and i love winning don't get me wrong yeah it when my athletes when my kids come in and and even just personal bests you know just progression we want to see constant progression right um, yeah, you can't tell me that there's not a strength coach somewhere smiling because they've they've been working with Tom Brady for the past five years and and at the age of forty five have got him to these super. You know, there, there's someone behind the scenes doing something really well with people like that. Well, so Tom's that, very close with his strength coach. You know, they wrote the book TB12 together and oh. and and just developed a, a really wonderful way of understanding force absorption, um, mm-hmm. called pliability, which you know he didn't invent it by any means, mm-hmm. but he really brought it to the forefront. Um, even our hockey players need to be able to absorb force, reduce mm-hmm. force. You know, we always talk about strength and conditioning. We talk about pro- force production. Mm-hmm. How much can I lift? How much can I push? How much can I pull? When really what we need to look at when it comes to performance, we need to look at how much can I reduce force? How much can I control force in a really, really healthy way? And let alone, how can I transfer that force into, into the, onto the playing field? Right. Um, most strength coaches would say straight up, my, my most skilled athlete in the pool is horrible in the weight room. You yeah. know, I can't even get him in there, you know? Mm. And, and not everybody needs the same thing. So 
Yeah. Is this something you can start young, you know, like a language, you know, you learn a language young. Is this something where you can learn the language of strength and conditioning young? And do you have, uh, you know, what, what ages come into your gym? So currently I, I have kids as young as nine and 10 that we mm. play with. And, and I, one of my mentors is part of the Institute of Motion with Michelle Dahlcourt and Ian, uh, Ian O'Dwyer. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully we'll get them on the channel because they really talk a lot about play and, and really finding joy and competence in the weight room. And it's okay that we laugh and it's okay that we're playing catch and it's okay that we're working footwork and, right. um, you know, just force, just force reduction through, through stopping and going, you know, Jess on the, the channel is a WNBA coach and she does so much change of direction stuff mm -hmm. yeah. um, because we have so many ACL injuries with our young athletes, mm. both male and female non-contact injuries. Um, you know, they're, they, we need to be able to reduce uh, force and change direction. So it can be really, really fun. And if those kids are having fun, it's something that they're going to continue with. But I, I have worked with a lot of young uh, triathletes in, from Canada. Um, if you look at any federation, you're going to see either a systematic caring of their young athletes or a systematic injury-prone young athletes. Mm. Injury-prone young athletes under under the leadership, like really good, high-functioning, high-performing young kids um, getting stress fractures is just not okay. It either means yeah. the coaching, the sport coach is overdoing it, or there's not enough strength uh, to develop development to to support the kind of training that they're doing and as they go through adolescence and, and into their you know where they can potentially make an olympic team or they can potentially get a college scholarship um i think it's super super important to to have the skill in the weight room um to be able to for uh, to be able to just really support that high level of speed mm. yeah. power um skill uh, all of it. I'm working with a lot of goalies right now from hockey and uh, just kids like 17 year olds with torn labrums. Mm. And, and that's a lack of strength and mobility and function in the hips and, you know, or just maybe too much ask in the training room. So how long, how, how, how many times a week and how long do they have to be in the gym to, to develop these things? And, you know, maybe from from their, their teenage years all the way up to the pros, like what, what are they doing yeah. and how long are they in there? Well, I think one of the coolest things about what I have figured out is you don't need an hour in the weight room. For some reason, right. we just got an hour yeah. in our heads. Yeah. That mm -hmm. You had to have an hour to do a, yeah. a good gym program. You know, through the pandemic, I developed a lot of programs that people started building little home gyms at home. And you don't right. need a lot of equipment. That was a question we got. Um, yeah. if, if I was putting stuff in my house, what would you put? Mm. And, and I would put uh, a couple of sand bells. They're like dumbbells, but they're just neoprene uh, little pads that you put sand in from the sandbox mm -hmm. uh, sand. Um, and then I would definitely have some kettlebells for you can use them like traditional kettlebells, but you can also use them like dumbbells. Right. And then I really am a big fan of the Viper, which is kind of a big tube, a big rubber tube that comes in different, uh, different weights. And that little home gym only takes up about two by two space, like four square feet. And, and that people started building out a little bit of home gym. So it's like, okay, so here is your, I call it a pre-flight session. If you're going out for a key run or a key ride uh, or, a, or a day on the ski slopes, do this 12 minutes of movement prep. Most professional athletes, um, and this is who we learn from, these are our mentors, they have a pre-practice routine that they mm. do every single day. Mm. And most of us don't. And mm. so, and it, it shouldn't take an hour. It should take 12 minutes. It should take 15 minutes. And you don't have to do it be before a 30 minute easy run. But if you're going to do a 30 minute workout and do some, you know, one minute intervals or two minute intervals, trying to ask, you know, get more of a, a response, a training response, then your body needs to be warmed up in a way that will produce a great outcome for you. Right. So, so those little 12 minute sessions of pr movement prep, are mm -hmm. really important. Um, and then if you get home from that run, so we talked a little bit, you and I, about the order of exercise and strength. Right. Mm -hmm. I would always put a strength session um, after the performance in uh, the mm. performance. Interesting. 
if you're a runner or a swimmer, I was always, and I'm kind of talking in past tense because I've learned a lot in the last couple of years, because um, we use it as a, we can use the weight room as a movement prep uh, opportunity as well, a muscle activation opportunity. Mm-hmm. We just can't overdo it before we put somebody in the pool. Like you, you need to have an appropriate session designed mm-hmm. bef- to activate and open up the body, work right. the rotation of the body, get mobile what we want mobile, get stable what needs to be stable. And it could be a 12 to 15 minute gig in the weight room and then go hit the pool. Right. But I don't think it needs to be a 60 minute strength session before getting in the pool. So right, right. I think and I think that's where coaches and athletes begin to trust the strength coach that, you know, that made my session better. Yeah. That sure. You kind of miss the mark if you're like, I went into the gym, I went into the gym first and now I'm exhausted. And they some of them may actually think that anyway. Like if they think that, we want yeah. to do that. Just yeah. don't make them Espe- go. especially for the endurance athletes, I'd say, right? That that's their bread and butter is whatever they're doing, they want to have the maximum amount of energy for that and they don't want to have any excuses. They want to be hitting their VO2 maxes or whatever it is, you know, 3100s on 130, you know, back to back. And then they want to be able to then go into the gym and supplement it that way. But if they were to come into that workout, then it would just be like, I'm so fatigued. I can't do this. That, you know, and, and they're just taken away from what their bread and butter is. So I like what you said in terms of the um, kind of mobility and then the, the stability. So what I'm, what I'm thinking and seeing there when you're talking about that is like movement, right? Actually moving the body when you get to practice. And then there's also those stability movements. Are they more like the, the, the TheraBand stuff, you know, where you're kind of um, getting your shoulder and scapulas and stuff in place? It's, you know, it's funny because rotator cuff is, is intricately involved with scapular stability. Right. But in my opinion and in, and in the scope of my understanding and, and practice, I'm going to focus a lot more on scapular stability and the position of the scapula mm. as well as the thoracic spine mobility. Mm-hmm. If we can get those two things right, chances are very good. We're not, we're never going to have to deal with a really specific um, right. rotator mm-hmm. cuff uh, situation. And yeah. in my opinion, strength coaches that go down the rabbit hole of trying to become physical therapists, um, it doesn't go as well as right. it, it could if we didn't have a team approach. If, if, if it's one thing if you're a strength coach following the protocols set forth by a physical therapist it's another thing if we're trying to avoid a physical therapist by doing specific rotator cuff because you could actually fatigue those small muscles by with the warm up and then put them more at risk with the athlete going into the pool if if we just focused on everything that would retract and depress the scapula or just create great function through the shoulder, the mm. the rotator cuff is usually going to be a little bit happier. Right, right. So it's that repetitive motion and those that fatigue, and it's it's a setup. Mm. You know. So uh, in my opinion, if you have a healthy athlete, a, a very easy, low volume little rotator cuff routine is super cool, but. The, the paddle pulls, you know, when they're warming right. up their lats or maybe right. even a single arm push and rotate to make sure that the arm is getting over the head. Um, I'm not trying to mimic uh, the swim motion as a strength coach. I'm just trying to set the kid up for success so the coach can do his or her job. That's interesting that you say that because I saw um, an answer on any question with, with uh, James Gibson, who's one of the top swim coaches in the world. And he actually said that, in the gym, he prefers that they don't do any movements very similar to what they do in the pool. He's trying to get away from that because they do so much of the same movement in the pool that he wants to supplement it with other things, right? Yep, exactly. And that's true of any sport. You know, I work with a lot. It's, it's, it's almost funny to watch strength coaches mimic a golf swing with a right. golfer. Right, right. Like, you, are, you are screwing up that golf swing mm. so much, mm. you know, uh, it's yeah. well, it's tough for you. You got triathletes; they do everything. So it's like you got these. What are you left with? So, yeah. um, oh, yeah, there's lots. 
I guess so. Then it's so then it's important for you to know the setup of what what they're what they're going into and what they're coming from. Then the the plan would be really important. You can't just have an athlete walk in and, and you say, "All right, we're going to do this today," and have no idea what they've come from and no idea what they're going to walk into. Is that correct? Yep. yep. Yeah, you know the the biggest thing about once an athlete is, demonstrates great skill in the weight room. It gives you a lot more latitude of how we can use it to enhance the entire year of performance. Mm. So it's very difficult with a new athlete. And sometimes that can take me up to two years. I'm always looking for a very long-term relationship. And I've been very, very lucky to have long-term relationships mm -hmm. with my athletes that, that we can evolve. And it's like in year three, we can have four little strength phases where we can actually get under some really good load, get a very nice hormonal response from the time we spend in the gym. We're not even trying to enhance performance. We're just trying to keep the athlete as healthy as possible. Most of our championship uh, races come at the end of the season, and that's true of most sports. And the athlete that can finish the season the strongest usually will do perform the best at the key tournaments or competitions like we, we really uh, focus on uh, Kona we focus on 70.3 world championships we focus on the Olympics we focus on Collins Cup which is a, a really exciting new opportunity in triathlon for these pros to be making really good money they have incredible support so they're going to start leading up into these uh, these key key races and so each athlete will have a, a schedule. They're like, you know what? When we put a strength phase eight weeks out from a key competition, and then we just maintain, um, my God, you're, you're on fire by the time you get to, because timing is such an art with coaching. Yeah. Getting um, those athletes, and it's so scary and risky because they're like, I should be training more. I should be training more. And we're like, no, you should rest. It's, it's good. It's, it's going to work. Um, so those are fun stories to listen to with yeah. amazing athletes for sure. So that um, that timing is going to be different for each athlete. That's why we want to have the long-term relationship. That's why we, we, we can trial and error a little bit with some less important competitions. But finding the magic for e each athlete is really important. Um, we've got a, mm. I've got a big key race this weekend. Um, Timothy O'Donnell is racing at, at Ironman Des Moines for his oh. uh, spot in Kona. So he has to get on that podium to, to win a slot to the world championships. Mm. And we've been, we've been doing a lead up for this um, for quite some time. And, and uh, this weekend, hopefully it'll all come together, but he's, do you do, you do a taper of, of some sorts with someone like that? Who's going into a, an event like that? hundred percent. And he is very different than his wife. So if Rini were doing this same race, their last two weeks would look completely different. Right. Rini, yeah. Rini really likes to lift mm -hmm. the week before uh, Kona or or a main Ironman. Um, it makes her feel good. It lifts her up. It elevates her energy. Um, Tim prefers to just do a bunch of mobility and just making sure that he's solid on one leg. If we need to do any muscle activation or challenges that tend to switch, uh, switch on for him, um, we'll do some of that stuff. But he kind of likes to be left alone. Mature athletes, they'll vibe and, and we have to listen to them. Yeah. We individualize training in the pool. So why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. 
Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. It's interesting that the professionalism of, of all sports really be triathlon, especially the last 20 years, I'd imagine uh, there's, there's more money. There's, there's, there's a lot more um, depth, right, at the top end as well. So uh, I'd imagine you've seen the, the quality of the athlete just get better, big, bigger, stronger, faster type thing, you know? So like where, what, what has that looked like over the last 10, 15 years? And where do you think it is right now? It's really, it's really exciting and interesting because we have the college recruitment program here in the United States where, where um, we're going out to universities and we're trying to identify really fast runners. Uh, we're looking for primarily, I think, swim runners, people who know how to swim. swim really runners. Well. Is there such thing as a swim runner? Gwen Jorgensen, she's, she's amazing. So our last uh, U.S. Uh, gold medal winner was Gwen, Gwen Jorgensen, and I believe she was at the University of Wisconsin. I hope I don't get that wrong. Right, right. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a girl now, I'm, I'm going to butcher her name, but a, a girl from uh, Great Britain who's super good too, right? Who's oh, they're, they're swim, swim background? Which, oh, they, most of them now will come from a swim background because mm. the timing is such that you you your children are in the pool like if you're a try if you love mm. triathlon right the kids are in the pool and they're on swim mm. team and then we right. try to evolve them and they hopefully they like running because cycling is probably the easiest one to teach uh, a good athlete we can teach them how to ride a bike right we try to steal the the swimmers uh, hopefully they've done some running gwen i know was was on a high level swim team all through high school right and she she ran track so yeah. that that's a potential for a gold medal and and she proved actually that it was magic so yeah. if we look back to our our champions in the sport um outside of rinny who was a basketball player like me um rinny's just a great athlete three-time counter champion but she's not a very good swimmer and mm. And she has to stay in the water a lot. And she comes out of the water nine, 10 minutes down in an Ironman. And then she chips away in the bike and she chips away in the run and, and she can win. Right. But, but these days the, the, the swimmers, the kids are just getting, they're, they're way more focused on swimming. It's, it's yeah. a cornerstone of success. Yeah. The one I was thinking of is uh, Lucy Charles Barkley. She's a pretty oh, yeah. good swimmer too, right? Yep. And, yeah. and she has a hip, fr hip fracture right now and actually, Lucy has a really, really cool um, YouTube right now at the Red Bull Training Facility. Right. And uh, I have a few of my athletes. I do not coach uh, Lucy, but if I, 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 all I know is a couple of my athletes says, Lucy should have been training with you because everything she's doing at Red Bull, we do. And take, really? her biggest message of takeaway in her YouTube was, I was focusing on the big muscles and I should have been focusing on the little muscles. Gotcha, and, right? Okay. And, uh, it's a really oh, great yeah. people should watch. I, I was going to say that. What's the what's the difference between what what the good people are doing, and what the bad people? Are? So the bad people are, are training the bigger muscles. The really smart people are training the little ones and um and building that strength and stability that way. That's that's interesting. How how did you catch on to that? Was it just trial and error for you, or just you're smarter than everybody else? How'd you I'm do it? Smart. I'm not smarter, <laughs> but I got big ears, and and I think when we really when we're, when we surround ourselves with smart people. And I think yeah. uh, Michelle Dahlcourt, I'm going to get him on any question because Michelle right. is just one of the smartest guys I know. Mm -hmm. And he started looking back at the hockey players. We're all Canadian. I'm, I don't know if you know that about me, but I'm actually Canadian. Okay. So I won't hold it against you. We're really training <laughs> a lot of hockey players and it's important that they can take a hit. It's important that they move yeah. well. It's important yeah. that they don't get injured. And Michelle and his team started looking backwards and they're going, you know what? The kids that don't get injured grew up on farms mm. and they did all this, you know, they threw bales, they, yeah. they poop out of the, out of the stalls. They, they just worked and they grew up lifting stuff. And so yeah. a lot of the training protocols where I come from, I'm, I'm definitely very traditional with, uh, with my NSCA, uh, credential with certified strength and conditioning specialist, which is very traditional strength building foundational athletic development. But then there's some crazy stuff to think about out there when it, when we start thinking about movement and we start thinking about smaller muscles and we start talking about function and integrated motion rather than just build a bigger quadricep. 
Right. Right. So from my from my background, um, Michelle was the, the leader for that and taught me to start thinking backwards. He's Aaron, you need to look at the problem and then solve the problem before it happens. Yeah. And, and then you got to make it fun and, yeah. and and a little bit playful so that the athlete buys in. And, you know, anytime my biggest goal is that if somebody comes in and, and trains with me a little bit, uh, I think Craig Alexander answered one of my questions. Um, Craig is a, a Kona champion several times over, one of the greatest athletes coming out of Australia. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever he came to Boulder, he would work with me and, and he answered my question. He goes, you know, Aaron, whenever I worked with you, I could just go for a run and I felt free and I felt open. And, yeah. and Craig was a champion. He wasn't very strong. Like he did right. not lift big, heavy weights, but he was strong enough to win major championships and we can open him up. Even just, I just worked with an athlete via Zoom. Uh, Rudy von Berg has his first Ironman in two weeks and he was, he's in France. So he spent 12 hours of traveling time. Right. Wow. You had Doc Cunningham on your, yeah. your yeah. podcast and, and he talked about how sexy it was to be a, P, a DPT for, <laughs> you know, just you get on a plane and then you work yeah. six hours, you know, the athletes yeah. for three minutes while you work for two days. And, you know, that's um, opening those kids up and preparing them to, to perform when they get off an airplane. Is, right, yeah. Is huge. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, flexibility used to be all about static stretching. Where where are we at with static now? You know, because now it's more about mobility. So where does where does yeah. static fit in? I think there's a place for static stretching. You know, I think we understand that it decreases neural demand. It 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 quiets a muscle down. Mm. Um, so static stretching is kind of nice, or some yin type movements with maybe a little bit of of safe, not crazy yoga. Um, it'll, it can de it can increase parasympathetic drive, that restfulness, uh, the irony of that, knowing that now, God, before basketball practice every single day, we would static stretch. And I'm like, we are mm -hmm. not helping ourselves. No wonder yeah. I wanted to go three on two, two on one after we stretched, because yeah. I had to bring my nervous system back online to yeah. perform. And, um, so static stretching does have a place, um, it's it's really individual and some athletes really love it and and they can perform well with using it so who are we to say that it's bad right um, i think we need to expose our athletes to static stretching some dynamic movement some mobility some uh, some different kinds of movement prep and and include them in the process of developing a program that actually works for them and then what and it, again it's their buy-in yeah so i don't think there's anything bad about it um but uh, a larger percentage of athletes probably perform better with dynamic mobility than they would with static stretching. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. And that, and that can be kind of put in the category almost of recovery in a way, right? When you're, when you're increasing that mobility. So other than those things, are, are you part of the team that looks at other forms of recovery, like massage guns are a big thing these days. Everyone's got a gun. They're just slamming themselves all day. And then, you know, hot and cold are a big part of this. Yeah. Are you part of that team as well? I, I watch, I watch that stuff all the time. And I <laughs> ask a lot of questions Yeah, because I broke my ankle like four years ago. And that was during this time, maybe it was five lost track of time but mm. everybody was saying don't ice ice is horrible ice doesn't right. work and so mm. i didn't ice and i almost <laughs> i impaired my recovery so mm. bad by not icing yeah because for me ice works really well and right. you know then now they're breaking it down like ice works for women not for men cold plunges no. for women not men you know it's it's i think that if you know yourself or if you listen to your athletes they will it's pretty clear, you, but you have to give them the opportunity to try a lot of things. And I love the Normatec boots. I love compression boots. I'll I'll carry them with me to Europe. Yeah, Normatec. So yeah. Um, but there's people that hate them, mm -hmm. so they're like, "Why would I do that?" And yeah, it's hard to argue with. They hate. Hate is a big word. I hate when we do that. Well, I'm never doing that again with you. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, <laughs> so, so I don't think. Re research and what is right and what is wrong is is always debatable when it comes to athletic performance, um, especially yeah. especially at a high level, um, or if somebody's being thoughtful 
about their performances. So I think it's all on the table because until we start studying 55 year old women or 22 year old females, like we train, like we study 22 year old males, right. it's hard to say this is a hundred percent true, you know, yeah. based on studies Well, you can, it's, we can, we can have wonderful debates about that. Are your athletes coming to talk to you about supplementation as, as a strength coach? They, they will talk about it lightly, but again, I stay in my lane pretty well. Um, anybody Who, that, whose lane is that? Whose lane is supplementation that, for an athlete? For me, it's going to be a registered dietitian and somebody who has proven that they know what to do with high performance athletes. Okay. Okay. And, and that's not my level of expertise by any means. I will immediately say, we need to get somebody on the team here because okay. supplementation is important. Get it's, it's amazing to me in triathlon, how, People who have won medals don't do any supplementation. And yeah, and, yeah. And that's, you know, it's hard to argue that maybe they don't need it. Maybe the cookies that they're eating are just fulfilling that glycogen <laughs> depletion yeah. immediately. And, you know, so it's it, it's exciting that as they get older, um, I'll be able to look back with some of my younger athletes and say, remember when you could just eat cookies? Right. And, and, you know, and then they're 29 and now it's like, you can't get away with that anymore. You know, yeah, so now yeah. we need to, so when they're kids, young, younger athletes can get away with a lot. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I could. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I know the feeling. That's why, the, that's why my camera cuts <laughs> off here, right? It doesn't go any lower than that. But yeah. um, let me ask you this thing, because you probably deal with athletes that, that walk a pretty fine line. I mean, you, you've got these guys that are, guys and girls are pushing themselves and burning thousands of calories you know we all heard about the michael phelps diet you know where he was taking in ten thousand calories because all the work he was doing i imagine these coner athletes are, are similar so how do you know where the line is like an athlete will walk in one day and and look all, all your athletes are generally going to be pretty thin you know that that's that's the way to, how do you know when an athlete walks in and you think to yourself are oh, they're just they're not looking good is that is that a time for you to say something i've only seen that happen one time for me um, mm -hmm. and it was like 24 hours. Actually, it happened twice. Um, I had a young man who had a very soft kind of doughy body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't trying to change it. He was, he's a very good athlete. And then one day, and he's about 23 at the time, yeah. um, I'm still a strength coach. So he's in his late twenties now. And it's funny, he came in one day and he just looked chiseled. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you look like a man today. Like what happened? Mm -hmm. And he said, I doubled my carbohydrate. <laughs> and wow. I was like, huh, okay, well, that's interesting. So that told me that affected him hormonally. Mm. It was probably in a pretty big deficit and energy uh, deficit. Mm -hmm. And uh, he doubled his carbohydrate in three days. His muscles got a little bit harder. Right. He felt good mm. and he looked way different. And from then on, he kept his carbohydrate load much, much higher. He was under fueling, mm -hmm, right. uh, therefore yep. under underperforming. Um, the female athletes, um, that's why I'm really excited to get Dr. Stacy Sims onto the Any Question app. And, mm -hmm. and he's excited about being there. It's just a matter of getting her up and going. But she is the world expert on female understanding of uh, uh, the function, athletic performance. Right monthly cycles mm -hmm. we are having so many more conversations um i don't think it was danielle kang it might have been danielle kang a female golfer about a month ago somebody said why did you play so bad in in uh in the tournament last weekend and she goes i think i had my period it was the week <laughs> period, and i just couldn't yeah. i just couldn't play i couldn't think yeah. and, and it was like the first time that a female athlete actually had a very frank interaction and a frank answer about right her performance and how it is related to her cycle. Right. And so I am very conscious of that with my, my female athletes, um, their, their energy level will be lower at certain times of the month. Um, and we have that conversation and, and a, a healthy female athlete will have a, a period, a normal period. And so we have to be really careful with our runners, our triathletes, our swimmers, that they're getting enough nutrition and that they're, they're not going down the rabbit hole. I think we have some really good role models in the sport right now. Of, of really healthy people. Marinda Carfrey, Rennie is probably one of the healthiest people I've ever met. She's just uh, had her second child, a uh, mm. 17 year 
months ago. Um, she's never not had a period. She's a three-time Kona champion. Yeah. Um, Taylor Nib is one of my athletes, um, currently ranked in the top five in the PTO rankings, also in the WTS rankings, silver medal in Tokyo. She has, she's very conscious of that conversation and a great role model for young athletes. Um, Christian Blumenfeld, who just went sub seven. Yeah, yeah he went like six something crazy. It was but, nuts. But he's not a skinny dude either. Like he's no, not. he's pretty he's thick, not isn't he? Yeah. Fat, but he's yeah, yeah. a bigger man. Yeah, he's holding some muscle, yeah. Yeah, he's not he's in so again good role models um and you know just really endurance sports are pretty famous for for energy uh yeah restriction and we yeah. want to make sure that our young kids and 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 even our older athletes recognize that if you're healthy um you're going to perform better and you're going to perform better over time sure okay well i'm going to finish up with this then what's what's one thing that, that really sticks out for you with, with the, the best of the best, the highest of performers? Is there, is there something that is common amongst them? Yep. Okay. Uh, we were just talking about it today, and, and it really is the mature athlete has gotten to know themselves so well that they are not afraid to say no to more training. Um, they know when to shut it down a little mm -hmm. bit. Right. And they, they have paid attention, whether it was through training peaks and in a, in a training diary or a training log. Um, they, their coaches are doing the best job that they can do to set them up for success. Mm. Um, but they're not, they're not, they don't live in that body. The coaches, a collaborative coach is probably the best kind of coach. Right. So that when the athlete says, you know what, I'm not sleeping and, and uh, they need to sleep. And if they're, they're overtraining, they're usually not sleeping well. So if you want those high highs, you have to really be able to focus on recovery, get out of your sport, spend time with people who are not always in the sport. So you're not always talking about swimming or triathlon. You're, you're talking about a beautiful trail or your last trip to wherever you went. Or, yeah. you, know, you have a really well-rounded uh, life and and so that's kind of what I preach with my young athletes yep. is have you know don't just have a bunch of friends that just do triathlon what, what, yeah you know find find lots of diversity balance. in your life yep. and balance and balance, yeah. that seems yeah. to be a really good common denominator for longevity in the sport well that's good well, all the parents listen to this too make sure your kids have balance growing up and 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 you talked about the diversity of sports and play and those sorts of things so important i remember the way i grew up and that's you know i got these cool things that sit behind me and and i got there through a lot of the same things that you talked about today so um really applicable great stuff really good information and um uh, I'm really happy to get to know you more i think that you're you're awesome and you're doing a fantastic job so um uh, thanks for sharing all your knowledge too. I appreciate it. No, I, Brett, I'm so excited about the future. I think that um, putting on people who are humble and want to learn from each other, mm -hmm. uh, this, any, any question and how we're all going to come together is going to yeah. make not only ourselves better, but it's really exciting for the reach that we can have. So anybody listening today, definitely join us on any question and ask some questions. Let's go. Yes. Yes. Follow-up questions for Aaron, all right? Get on the platform, get some questions to us. So, all right, I appreciate this. Thanks for doing it, Aaron, and um, have a great weekend, okay? Thanks, Brett. Take care.